The following message was recorded at Christ Church in Bartlett, Tennessee. For more information about Christ Church, visit www.ccbartlett.org. Uh, we're talking about peace. Now, around Christmas time, we hear a lot of scriptures talking about uh, Jesus. We read a lot of Old Testament prophecies. One of my favorite is Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. For, for to us, a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Let's focus on that today. Prince of peace. Now, Israel, the first century Israel would have heard this and they would have said, Prince of Peace, fantastic. You're going to bring us peace from the Romans, right? We are pushed over in this little smoking section only corner of Rome, God. Could you please get us out of here? Would you please set up this kingdom? Would you give us peace here in our own kingdom? And, and, and God had a bigger peace in mind, a much bigger. And we're going to see that as we continue through First Thessalonians. If you've been with us, we've been going through the book of First Thessalonians. We're in chapter 5 today. That's it. We made it to the last chapter. Amen? All right. So uh, we are starting chapter 5, and we're going to see the Prince of Peace here in First Thessalonians chapter 5. So... Uh, if you have a Bible, turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. If you don't have a Bible, there should be some under your seats. Take those, follow along. If you don't have a Bible, that one under your seat, that's for you. That's our gift to you. And you say, but it didn't have a name on it. Write it on there. Whatever. You got pins. All right, so follow along there. And we are going to take, this is going to be a huge meal today here in the scriptures. I hope you're hungry. I hope you're excited. Let's go. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 1. Are you there? I don't have time. All right, here we go. Verse 1. Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there's peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or darkness, so then... Let us not sleep as others do, but let keep awake and be sober. For those who, who sleep, sleep at night. Those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with Him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. Lord, bless the reading of your scripture this morning. Give us understanding. It's in Jesus' name. Uh, starting here in verse 1, all right? Let's just break this down together, all right? How do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? Let's go. Verse 1. Now, concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. Now, what he's saying is that you're sure about this part, all right? Uh, this, this first part, I don't have to write much to you about this. You know about the judgment of God that comes with Christ that I'm about to write about in the next few verses here. You already know about this. And so picking up in verse 2, for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there's peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them. All right. So thief in the night. When I hear this uh, and a lot of Christian songs that I heard growing up and all this stuff, I used to think that thief in the night, the only thing that this meant was this was a picture of that. The fact that when Jesus comes back, it will be a surprise. It will be, uh, uh, it will be something that we aren't able to put a time on. We won't be able to say it's going to happen here. It's going to happen there. Right. Or anything like that. But, but the way that he uses it in this context is a little bit bigger than that. Um, what he's saying when he says thief, look, look at verse three. While people are saying there's peace and security, sudden destruction will come upon them. What does a thief coming to your house in the middle of the night remove first? Your window screen? Probably. But that's not what I meant. All right. What does, it, what does he remove first? He removes your peace 
and your feeling of security. So Paul is saying that when Christ returns, what you used to think brought you peace and security, I'm going to show you that it's not. It's not true peace. It's not true security. And so I'm going to come like a thief. You are not going to want to see me coming. This is not going to be a welcoming sight to you, all right? You are not going to enjoy this. And so what he's saying is that whatever you thought brought you peace between you and God, whether it's your your religious piety, you know what I mean? I taught Sunday school. I worked with kids, even though they, like, God, you know I hate kids. They smell, right? Like, but I worked with them anyway. Or maybe, like, you're just, you know, I always sat on the front row and, and I always put on clean pants, right, at church, like... Uh, my religious piety, or whether it's your moralism. You know, I try to do good. I, I try to be better than the people around me, right? Uh, I, I'm, I think I'm a pretty good person. Or whether it be even your philanthropy. Maybe, you're, maybe you give a lot to other people. Maybe you're doing a lot of charitable things. Whatever it is, what Jesus is saying here is, or Paul's saying here, that's not real peace. Whatever it is, it isn't real because they're still enemies of God. Why? Because their sin hasn't been dealt with. Sure, they've done all these wonderful things, but their sin hasn't been dealt with. So their religious piety, moralism, philanthropy, these are all man-made's attempt at righteousness. And what's the result? Judgment comes because their sin hasn't been dealt with. So look what it says. Sudden destruction will come upon them as the labor pains come upon a pregnant woman. You get over there, Ashley? Ashley's over here. She's literally going to pop this week. And I just thought last night, I was like, what if I say labor pains and they happen? That would be awesome. Labor pains. All right, anyway, it didn't work. This is an Old Testament picture of the judgment of God, right? And so judgment is coming, and it's coming because why? Skip down to verse 7. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. So night here is a spiritual night. It's a darkness they live in, absent of Christ. And what happens at night, naturally? You sleep. When you sleep, you sleep at night. When you get drunk, you get drunk at night. And you say, ha-ha, Grant, I get drunk during the day. You have a problem. Let's talk about it, all right? We'll talk later. So, got you. All right, so, Christ is a light. Therefore, those who are in darkness are without Christ, without the knowledge of Christ. And so they sleep. So naturally, spiritual darkness leads to spiritual sleep. And what is sleep? Sleep is zero knowledge of God, complete ignorance. They don't know Him. They don't know Him. They don't know about... They just don't know Him. The cross is foolish. Christmas is is all about Toys R Us, right? Like, they don't understand Him. They don't know Him. No knowledge of God. And they get drunk. So naturally, spiritual darkness leads to spiritual drunkenness. And drunk, what it equals here is a lack of of diligence. When was the last time you saw a drunk person be incredibly diligent? Right? You know what I mean? When was the last time someone got drunk and did their taxes? Okay? You understand what I'm saying? Like, so drunk does not equal diligence here. So they don't know about God. They're asleep. But they also aren't diligent in finding out about God, in seeking God. And because of this, judgment is coming for them. So Paul says, brothers, you have no need for me to write about this. You know this part. And they're going, yeah, yeah, yeah. We do know that part, Paul. We absolutely know that part. And we're upset. We're disturbed. So Jesus is going to come like a thief in the night. He's not, it's not a welcoming thing. And, and he's going to bring judgment. Is he bringing judgment for me? That's what they're asking here. They're saying, yeah, Paul, we do know that part. Thanks a lot, you Debbie Downer. What's left for us here? What's going to happen to us when Jesus returns? Do I have real peace and security or not? Look at verse 4. But you 
are not in darkness, brothers. For that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We're not of the night or of darkness. So Jesus' returning is not something to dread. It's not unwelcome. It's not destructive. We're children of light. We're children of the day, the day of the Lord. So when Jesus comes to banish darkness, that's good news for us, all right? Darkness is not good for us. We don't like darkness, right? We are children of the light now in Christ. So when he comes for us, that's good news. He's going to set things right. And he's going to set things right in our lives. So we have peace. We have security. And you say, praise God. But hang on, Grant. I think you skipped something. How? How do we have this peace and security? Look at verse 9. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us. So that whether we're awake or asleep, we might live with him. So how do we have peace? Look there. Obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us. The Prince of Peace made peace. 2 Corinthians 5.21 For our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So Jesus did something we couldn't do. And he made peace with God on our behalf. And so because he took our sin on himself, now he, he has imparted and imputed righteousness onto us. Do you understand? So now because of what Christ has done, not because of what we have done, if we find ourselves in him, our faith in him, he looks at us and he says, righteous, righteous. There's peace between you and God. You're no longer enemies with God. There's peace because I brought righteousness. But how do I have security? In other words, how do I know that peace is being kept? Because I feel like my actions aren't always righteous. How do I know that peace is being kept? Look at verse 10. Who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Jesus is saying that I've died for you. I've made peace and I'm going to keep peace and I'm going to be with you. Whether you're here or whether you pass on, I'll be with you. I'm never leaving you. I made the peace and I'm going to keep peace that peace that's the prince of peace that we have and you say even when i mess up even like uh, listen i i appreciate the peace jesus i appreciate the righteousness but i'm not the most righteous person all right you get what i'm saying i mess up that peace a lot check out this scripture let's look this is one of my favorite scriptures about jesus sustaining that peace for us and it comes from first john chapter 2 verse 1 my little children i'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin but if anyone does sin has anyone sinned in here since they became a Christian? Shame on you. What? I'm just kidding. Has anyone sinned this week? Today? Someone sinning right now? All right, we'll talk later. All right, like that's, what are you, what are you doing? All right, anyway, ushers, back there, that, that corner. Of course, of course we're going to fall. Of course we're going to sin. Of course we're not perfect. But it says, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ, the righteous. Do you understand what that means? The Prince of Peace has made peace between us and God. And he stands at the right hand of the Father. And he looks at us. And the Father looks at us. And he, and he says like, oh, there goes Grant again. I think I, I, you know when people say they broke the mold? I think I just broke him. All right? Like here he is messing up again. And Jesus says, no, no, no. No, no, My righteousness covers him. No, no, no. There's still peace between you and him. My blood covers him. He's our advocate. So our Prince of Peace made peace for us, and he sustains our peace. Isn't that incredible? Isn't that incredible a thought that Jesus is our Prince of Peace? What's our response? Surely, oh, thank you, dude. Man. Hey, there are people out here. I was just talking to blobs. Um, 
That was not a fat joke. I apologize. That was not a fat joke. What, <laughs> what is our response? What is our response? Jesus didn't just make peace and sustain our peace and stand next to the Father and say, He's mine. She's mine. Yeah, I see what she's doing. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to deal with that. I'm going to deal with that. I will rebuke her. I will correct her because that's, that's loving. That's a wonderful thing. But listen, my blood covers her. She still has peace. There's still peace there. He does that for a reason. And so we must have a response to that. What's our response? There's two responses here. The first, we're just in verse 8. We're going to fly through because I really want to get to verse 6. So we're going to fly through this. I encourage you to to go back and look through this on your own. Verse 8. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. So breastplate, that picture again. Paul loves that picture about about being a soldier and and using the armor of God. So what does a breastplate cover? Right, a breastplate traditionally the chainmail there it might cover from roughly around up here, and, and it would definitely cover the rest of your abdomen. Sometimes it would go even down to the middle of your thigh, maybe even longer, depending if you're if you're um, you know horizontally challenged or vertically challenged. Horizontally challenged—that's another fat joke. I apologize. Uh, so it covered your vital organs. So it could be understood that the breastplate of faith meant that trusting God's way over yours, lining up your way with God's, that's what faith is, trusting that God's way is better, I'm going to line my way up with His, protects your integrity as a believer. And Hebrews eleven six says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. So in other words, without faith, it's impossible to live this Christian life. So we put on that breastplate of faith. So we lean into God's way of doing things. And that protects our integrity. That protects our ability to live this Christian life. This next part, breastplate of love. And of course, the breastplate covered your heart. Now listen, love is a choice. We talked about that a lot. And love is also actionable. If you do not show love, then you don't truly love. So this would mean that as you show the love of Christ toward others, your affections are protected from being pulled toward things that are ungodly. In other words, if I'm busy loving Jesus and showing that love to others, loving other people, I don't have time with that Christ-like humility that, that I'm trying, that I'm, that I'm pursuing and that I'm loving others with. I don't have time to grow an unhealthy, selfish love of myself. And so we start to understand that command to love my neighbor as myself really is Jesus protecting me with that command, isn't it? So as we love others, it protects our affections from going inward and back to things that, God, that would not honor God. Lastly, helmet of the hope of salvation. Now, of course, in, back then, a blow to the head would almost mean certain death. And I mean, today, pretty much too. I mean, you hit me in the head. I don't, I don't know. Take care of my family. So anyway, a blow to the head would almost mean perf- would mean certain death. And so the head must be protected. And so the helmet is vitally important. Just as the helmet is vitally important to the life of the wearer, so the hope or the confidence of salvation in Christ, the confidence that God is on my side, the confidence that He has made peace for me, that is vitally important to the believer. The enemy will distract you and he'll attack you, but with the confidence of salvation, what can he do to me? What can he do to me? Romans 8, 31. If God is for us, who can be against us? If I have confidence that God is for me, then what can he possibly throw at me? What can he possibly bring to me? I have the helmet of the hope of the confidence of salvation. Our final response is where I want to spend the rest of our time. Verse 6. So then, let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. 
All right, let's understand these words real quick. Be awake. And what that means is, again, we talked about spiritual sleeping is what? Spiritual sleeping is, is zero knowledge of God, right? So be awake is, is what? Being awake is to face spiritual truths. Don't be ignorant. Really, this is an imperative to know biblical truth. This is an imperative to know the Bible. And we talk about reading the scriptures a lot um, here. And I had a student come up to me just in the past couple of weeks. He's sitting over there, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Nope. All right. I'll get him later. Uh, so anyway, uh, he came up to me recently and said, you know, I've been reading my Bible a lot lately. And uh, you know what? It helps. And I was like, really? Awesome. I'm going to mark that down and remember, I'll try to remember that. And so I wonder, like, if it's so helpful, why don't we do it? Why don't we why don't why don't we stay awake here? Why don't we face spiritual truths? And I thought of a different answer. I normally I normally say things like, well, you know, laziness. And that could be true and, and, and other things like that. But I think to, today it's appropriate to say fear. And, and I think fear of interference, which, which is really saying that my way is fine. If I get into the scriptures, it might be too difficult. Or maybe there's a fear of shame and guilt. What if I get into the scriptures and I don't measure up? Or, or, or maybe it's a fear of understanding, right? Like, like, um, what if I don't read it right? What if I do the wrong thing because, because I don't have the understanding? I don't have a seminary degree. Well, I don't either. I don't have, like, all these things. Like, like what, if, what if I misinterpret it? Here's the reality. There's nothing to fear. Do you know why? The Prince of Peace secured you for his pleasure and for your joy. Psalm 147, 11, The Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him and those who hope in his steadfast love. So why does Christ give us these commands? It's for our joy and for his pleasure. He knows what's best for you. John 15, he says, I want their joy to be complete in me. That's what I'm telling you these things. That's what I'm teaching you these things. I want your joy to be complete. I take pleasure in that. I delight in your joy. And I've told you uh, before, that's difficult for children to understand. I've told you before how since I had kids, now I look at my house and I recognize that like just it's a house of horrors. You know what I mean? Like, like. There's my son loves um, the the outlets and the walls, and so it's just a constant battle to keep him alive, right? You know what I mean? Just like he just constantly wants to pull those little things out and and just say like I can get my finger in there. And so anyway, like, and he doesn't understand when I pull him away. Son, my joy is I want you to be joyful. This will not result in joy, and I delight when you're joyful. And so yes, I'm correcting you. Yes, this might be difficult, but understand, I want your joy. I take pleasure and I don't delight in you being upset. I don't delight in you being hurt. We have, our, our son Jude is now eight months old and, and he takes everything from his sister, his twin sister. And, and, uh, and when you take it back from him, the other day I took it back from him, he, he stuck that lip out. And he started getting upset. And I said, Angela, come here real quick. I think his lip is about to pop off or explode. One of the two. You've got to see this, right? Like, but he didn't understand, right? He doesn't understand what's best for him, but I do. In the same way, God understands what's best for us. So sometimes we'll deal with truths in the scriptures that seem harsh. Sometimes we'll deal with truths that will tear down literally the way that we've thought about something our entire lives. And sometimes it will bring embarrassment. I feel embarrassed sometimes when I look at the scriptures and go, man, how have I been so dense? How have I been so selfish? How have I been so prideful? But remember this, the Prince of Peace has secured you. Why? Not for shame, not for embarrassment, not for guilt. But he secured you for his pleasure and for your joy. There's nothing to fear. There's treasure waiting for you in the scriptures. So be awake. Know the scriptures. Be alert. Be watchful over your lives. So through biblical understanding, you will learn what is pleasing to God and what is not. So we must be watchful over our lives. To live the Christian life is not natural. 
The Bible says now that there are two natures at war within us. The new nature, the spirit of God, and the sinful nature that I was born with. Thanks, Mom. God. All right. So anyway, that sinful nature that I was born with, and they're at war. Paul says in Romans 7 that I don't really understand myself. I, 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 I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. And these two natures, they can't exist. One wins and one loses. That's what Jesus said. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross daily and follow me. What he's saying is, you have to kill it. You have to kill it. Be watchful over your life. And those things that come in it that threaten that new nature, kill them. Crucify them. Crucify them. So be alert. Be alert for selfishness and crucify it. Be alert for pride. Be alert for lust. Crucify it. Be alert for greed, for prayerlessness, for lack of forgiveness and mercy and crucify it. And here's something cool. As you grow in your faith and your understanding and as you, as you make that a part of your life, being alert and, and being watchful, the Lord will, will refine your alertness. Here's what I mean by that. When I was younger, I understood pride and I recognized pride as something when I bragged to somebody. And I was like, that's not right. That's wrong. That's pride, right? Well, that's true. It's very overt. However, but the covert pride that constantly was, was on the surface with me. Where, where I didn't acknowledge Christ in all things. I didn't acknowledge that he was the author of all that was good. I, I didn't understand that. That was some understanding that, that God made me aware of later in life by his goodness. And he refined that alertness. And so he's just digging more and more and more sin out of my life. As, as he trains me to be more alert through his word. And you say, look, man, that sounds involved. I don't see the point. You know, like, like I know right from wrong and I'll try my best. Be alert. I don't think you understand how grave this situation is. Paul gives us, or Peter gives us a, a picture here that's going to help you understand how grave this situation is. First Peter 5 eight. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Now the picture here is that the enemy is a lion, a lion wandering around seeking to devour you. Devour is not a fun word. Right? I've never heard that. Like, uh, my, my son's never said, Daddy, pick me up. Daddy, devour me. No, it's not fun. That's horrible. What are you talking about? Devour me. That's not fun. Sin has eternal consequences and has temporal consequences. And the Bible says that the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And so he wants to kill our joy and he wants to steal our focus and he wants to destroy our effectiveness for Christ. He wants to devour you. And he's a lion. Think about it this way. What would your response be if you knew that there was a lion constantly around looking for you, how would you live your life? Alert might not be a, a strong enough word, all right? You know what I mean? I would be, my, you know, people, I'd be, my head would be on a swivel. You know what I mean? Like, I would just, i carry mirrors around, you know? And then, what are these? These are my lion mirrors. Just relax. Wait, that was a car. All right, you know, like I would be alert and I'd be looking for signs of that line. I'd be looking for, for scratches, right? I'd be listening for his voice. I, you know, I'd be like, did someone leave this lion poop here? Lion's here. He's right here, right? Like I would be alert, right? So in the same way, he's saying that it's a lion. In the same way, we must be alert to what the enemy uses to devour us. Be alert at the signs of your pride. Be alert to your lack of love. Be alert to the signs of your laziness and apathy. Be alert to your greediness. Be alert to what, what, what brings about your lustfulness and crucify those things. Put them to death and you say, how do I do that? Number one, you call out to the Prince of Peace, your advocate. You call out for him. And the second thing, replace them. With righteousness. It goes back to our first point. You need to know the biblical truth. 
Replace them with righteousness. Replace your pride with humility. Replace your lack of love with compassion. Replace your laziness with a God-honoring effort. Replace your greediness with generosity. Replace your lustfulness with honoring other people and considering them better than yourself. And look, this is easier said than done. I'm known to, to put my pride up on the cross, crucify it, and then pull it down and give it CPR. You know? It's a lot easier said than done to crucify our sin. And so the reality is this last part so important. We have to be diligent. The Bible says we have to be sober. We have to be sober. Be serious. Be disciplined. We live in a culture of quick and now. I have Netflix at home. Netflix instant. I can watch any movie that's on there. And you say, well, you know, there are better movies. Newer releases down at the red box. You mean I have to get in my car and go, I don't want to wait. You know, what are you talking about? I can press a button and magic happens. You know what I mean? Like, why would I go down there? I, we live in a culture of I want instant reward and I want very, very little effort to get it. And that's not how this Christian walk works. Paul talks about the Christian life. Do you know the word pictures he uses? A brisk jog? Does he use a, an afternoon tea? No. Do you know what he uses? He says that it's a war and we're soldiers. He says that it's a boxing match. He says it's a marathon. A marathon. I did a 5K yesterday. I started at 11 a.m. yesterday. I finished like this morning. All right? Like that was just, why do people do those? Oh my gosh. Why do people run marathons? That's the thing I don't get like. Like, I'm convinced, if you run a marathon, I'm sorry, I'm going to give you some truth. I'm convinced you, there's, you have a disease in your brain somewhere. It's a marathon disease, and we need to get you checked out, all right? I passed these ladies yesterday. Let me rephrase that. These ladies passed me in the 5K yesterday, and they're talking about training for their marathon. Yeah, my toenails just fell off. Mine too. And I'm going, why do you do this? Why are you doing I have a car. I'll give you a ride. I don't know. I'll pay for the gas. Why do you do this? Why do they do it? The truth is they consider the cost and the reward is greater. The reward of their health, the reward of purpose, accomplishment. And so being disciplined to be alert and put our sin to death, it isn't easy. It's a marathon. Look at Paul's words. It's a marathon, but it's a marathon worth running. Not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus had made me his his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it on my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. You know, it's at the finish line. It's not a little cup of water. It's not your time. It's not a little ticker tape or anything like that or fake snow or anything like that. You know, it's at the finish line. Jesus is at the finish line. Complete intimacy with Jesus. Communion with Jesus is at the finish line. That is a marathon worth running for. Jesus is at the finish line. And the writer of Hebrew, let's close with this. The writer of Hebrew continues to give us encouragement as we're diligent to put our sin to death. When you hit that wall in your marathon, when you hit that wall, you remember that the Prince of Peace has broken through that wall. Hebrews chapter 12. Therefore, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings to you closely. And let us run with endurance to the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder, the one who made our peace, and perfecter, the one who secures our peace of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus has secured your peace. You aren't a failure because he didn't fail. And look to him. You look to the one who pushed through that wall. And look at verse 3. Consider him who endured for, for sin such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Listen to this. And your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. When you struggle and you think, I can't resist any longer. This is going to overtake me. I can't do this. 
Here's what the scripture says. You haven't resisted to the point of shedding blood. Jesus did. Not only does Jesus know what you're going through, he went further. He went a place you can't go. Know that the Prince of Peace is with you. He has victory so that you can have victory too. He's made peace and he's secured it. May our response be diligent pursuit of him. Verse 11, last verse. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up. I don't have any better words to encourage you and build you up than that. Let the Prince of Peace today, he has made peace for you and he secured it in himself. May our response be that we would be awake and that we would be diligent as we pursue him. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, thank you for letting us be here today. God, thank you for this opportunity to learn more about you and to learn more about the Prince of Peace. I want to confess my, um, my tendency to overlook your name when it comes to Christmas. I tend to hear wonderful counselor, Prince of Peace, and I think those are nice. Those look good on wrapping paper. And I forget the reality of it. I forget, Lord, that you didn't leave me here alone. You didn't leave me here an enemy of God, but instead you came and you rescued me and you brought me back. That, God, my peace with you doesn't rely on me. It doesn't rest with me because I can't keep it. But your love is so great that you made it and you secured it. God, may we respond properly with diligence. Lord, we love you and we thank you. We ask that as we sing this last song together that you be lifted up. And Lord Jesus, I ask, I ask your Holy Spirit to move in this room. And if you, if you want to work in somebody's heart, then work in somebody's heart. And, and Lord, maybe we haven't been diligent. Lord, maybe, maybe we haven't responded correctly to you making peace for us. God, may we repent of that today and acknowledge that and honor you. Lord, some might not have accepted that peace. Some may not be in the faith. Some may not have trusted you before. Maybe they were trusting their moralism or or their their, uh, uh, being religious or or their philanthropy or, or just being nice or good or whatever. May they recognize today that it's not good enough and the judgment of God comes for that. But the Prince of Peace has made a way for us if we would trust him, follow him, give him our lives. So you do in us what you would will in this time. We love you. It's in your name. I want us to, uh, to go ahead and sing. I want us to sing this chorus one more time. Before we go, I want to give you an opportunity during this. If you do what you need.